It's Monday, May 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com. By way of Omaha, Nebraska, David Hansen. Welcome back. Hey, happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy birthday to our man, Ron Gross. Did really? you know that? Yes. Sure. I would wish him happy birthday on Twitter, but he's not on the Twitter. So What is, what is this, 1992? <laughs> he's got enough going on. Yeah, it's true. Um, we're going to talk Berkshire Hathaway because you just got back from the annual meeting and no one can see it but me and Dan Boyd, who's behind the glass, but you wonderfully brought tribute in the form of a box of C's candy. So thank you for that. We'll get to C's candy in a moment. But first, how was the trip? What stood out to you from the weekend in terms of headlines, in terms of news? I know you and Matt Kopenheffer and Mike Olson and Scott Phillips from our office in Australia. Like We had a whole bunch of people out yeah. there. Mm-hmm. You guys got up bright and early to get to the six-hour Q&A that Buffett and his right-hand man, Charlie Munger, did. Was any news made as far as you're concerned? I don't think there was too much news. My main takeaway from the whole process, and we should mention there was a, a brunch with Markel on Sunday. That's a company that Joe Mager, a couple other fools, re- really love here. So we attended that as well, very similar Q&A style. Uh, the theme of the entire weekend was that investing really comes down to common sense. Long-term investing, you have to have common sense. You don't have to understand the the complex high-frequency trading, the algorithms, 50-tab Excel model to be successful when it comes to investing. And uh, I think a lot of people look at, at Buffett and say, yeah, he gets on CNBC, he's got some good quotes, and he's all folksy, but there's got to be more. I'm sure he's got 100 analysts running numbers for him. But I really – that's not true. I mean, they talk in common-sense terms – they understand what they need to do in terms of being patient and having a boring business. And they said that multiple times. Hey, our business is really boring. That's why people don't do it. That's why there's not another Berkshire Hathaway. So the fact that these guys are still up there, still doing what they've always done, still having common sense, that was the theme of the weekend. And I think that's been the theme of past meetings and it'll continue to be the theme in future meetings. It's interesting to think of, because there are those people out there who are saying, well, he's, there's got to be more. And I think if you want to give a nod to those people, you can say, well, yes, certainly when it comes to some of the financial deals that he struck on Wall Street, Warren Buffett is getting terms for some of his deals that you or I as investors are not going to get. But that's really about it in terms of his secret sauce. And he should be the only one to get those deals because what Berkshire Hathaway is now is they have their stock portfolio, they have their operating businesses. But the way people should look at this company is it's really just an allocator of capital and where capital is needed in the system and make sure they're being compensated with sufficient returns on the capital that providing. So in terms of cr- when a crisis happens and, and someone needs money, a business needs money like GE did, like Goldman Sachs did, like Bank of America did, they look around and they try to find where can we get capital and where can... Buffett looks around and says, who needs capital? And we match those two up. And it's, the, it's at the core what capitalism is. And that's what this company does now. So we shouldn't be able to get that type of deal because we don't have the capital that, that right. Berkshire does. And no other company has the ability to do what they do. So it's right that they should get these, these great deals. I saw a bunch of quotes over the weekend because I follow you on Twitter, Matt Kopenheffer, Becky Quick from mm-hmm. CNBC, who was one of the moderators for the Q&A session. And one of the quotes 
that caught my attention and seemed to get replayed over the weekend was War- and I don't know what the question was that led to this, but Warren Buffett was talking about his acquisition strategy and his process for acquisitions. And I think maybe Munger was the one who said this, but Charlie Munger, his right-hand man, said that Buffett's nickname for him is the abominable no man because he's he's the one who's shooting down ac- proposed acquisitions. Do they really have that type of relationship? I, I find it hard to believe that Munger – maybe I shouldn't though. I mean does Munger really have what amounts to veto power over Warren Buffett's acquisition strategy? I would make the educated guess of yes, he probably does. If there's a deal that Munger says we should not do this, I, I don't think Buffett would do it. And I don't think we give Charlie Munger enough credit for the influence that he's had on Warren Buffett's career. And there was another question on intrinsic value at the meeting and how do you calculate that? What do you think about when you're evaluating a business? And he said, well, Ben Graham, who's the father of kind of the value investing, only look at the numbers. He said Ben Graham would have only cared about that, only the quantitative. And that's where Buffett came from. He said, that's what I used to do. And then I met Charlie. And Charlie taught me about the importance of management, importance of economic moat, competitive advantage. He goes, and I think Charlie was right. So he's basically said the guy who taught him investing, Ben Graham, he thought he was right for a while, but then he met Charlie Munger and that kind of changed his perspective on things. So I don't think we give Munger enough credit. I think he probably does have a big sway in Buffett's decisions. I think you're right that we don't give Munger enough credit. I think we also don't give Buffett enough credit for putting someone at his right-hand side who he often disagrees with. There's a different, As you said, there's a different investment philosophy that Munger comes from. They differ politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really does speak to having the confidence to surround yourself with people who not only disagree with you and have different points of view, but are also willing to say, no, I think you're wrong on this. And let me tell you why I think you're wrong on this. Yeah, I think it's very important. And there was a question. I think it came came from Becky Quick and the questions that she was curating there. It was, who would replace Charlie? The questions are always, who's going to replace you as CEO? Who's going to succeed you? What's the question? But the question was, who's going to replace Charlie? And Buffett said, that's a great question. Nobody asked that. And hopefully they don't have to anytime soon. But he said, even who the person who replaces me will probably have an equivalent of Charlie. They really want someone who has another person to bounce ideas off to understand what's going on in the business. So I think this kind of partnership at the top will kind of always be around Berkshire. I want to get to the Markel event you went to in a minute. But other than the Q&A, what stood out to you in terms of either people you met, whether it's investors or executives, anything from the portfolio of companies that were on display there? I think you hit it with the uh, companies on display there in terms of the operating businesses. And that's what Berkshire is becoming, a collection of operating businesses rather than a stock portfolio with some businesses on the side. There was very little question about the stock portfolio. No one was like, where do you see Wells Fargo going over the next two years? What do you think American Express's price to earnings right now? Nothing like that. I mean, there were a couple questions on the stock portfolio, but everyone is focused on the operating businesses, and rightfully so. That's what is going to move this company forward. 30 years ago, the stock portfolio was, I think, 80% of the assets. Today, it's less than a third. So we're continuing to, to get a new Berkshire here 
that that relies on operating companies rather than the stock stock portfolio there. So walking around the exhibit hall, that really uh, hit home for me is that this is the real Berkshire now, not shares of Wells Fargo. Speaking of operating companies, Seize Candy, mm. great operator. I don't even know if you were working here at The Motley Fool when this happened, but I think this was maybe two years ago on Market Foolery where Joe Mager was talking about Berkshire and how great the stock is and this fabulous collection of businesses and included with Geico and American Express and Wells Fargo, he mentioned Seize Candy and I just cut him off and said, "What? what is the big deal with Seize Candy? Why does everyone talk about that like that is the greatest business ever invented? And he just sort of looked at me and said, "What have you ever had it? And I said, well, no, I just see it in airports every now and then. And that's when the email started coming in from mm. people saying, what do you mean you've never had to? And very nicely, people started sending in Seize Candy. So I'm a convert. I'm totally a convert on the Seize Candy. Um, is this a business that moves the needle at all? Or is this just a business like, nope, they're just a great operator. They're a small operator, but they're just a great operator, and we love having them in the family. Yeah, it's the latter for sure. This doesn't move the needle. And there, someone actually even asked a question, why don't you expand season more? It's a little bit of a silly question because it, it's nowhere close to moving the overall needle. And they said it's a great business, but it, it doesn't make too much sense to expand it, and it's fine. Um, the reason it gets so much attention is, A, it, it is really good candy. I, I have a sister who's gluten-free, and she was looking at the ingredients on Seize Candy, and she goes, oh, there's there's not a lot of crap in here. I can actually eat this. <laughs> it's actually real candy. So it, it is high-quality candy, so there's that. But it's a great example of a transition that Buffett made, and I just mentioned uh, the impact of Munger on his thinking about what kind of companies he buys. Seize Candy was one of the first companies that didn't fit the Ben Graham cigar butt dirt-cheap company to buy. He bought it at a fairly, quote, expensive price, and that was one of the first times Buffett started to look at, this is a business that has good economies of scale. It has good pricing power. Seize Candy has been able to raise prices for some 40 years in a row now. So it was more of a turning point, more of a good example of Buffett changing his thinking that really turned him into the investor he is today. How was the Markel event? I'm assuming Tom Gaynor, the chief investment officer who gets a lot of praise and rightly so, was there. Anything in particular stand out from that? Yeah, so it was Tom Gaynor and Steve Markell um, related to the founders of the Markell business. It's been a family business for a long time. Very similar. It's the two of them sitting up on stage. I think they said they've started it maybe 10 years ago or so. I'm not positive. And for those who may not know, Markell Specialty Insurance Company has made a lot of hay out of, frankly, in some cases, some really odd types of insurance that mm-hmm. they write. Yeah, I mean, it's they readily admit they follow the Berkshire Hathaway model. They do insurance. They use the the premiums that they receive, the float to invest in in stocks and other opportunities. It's the exact same thing that that Buffett did. Uh, but ten years ago, I think they said there were probably twelve people at the Q and A. This year, 150, 200 people. So this is a company that's more people are starting to appreciate the type of common sense wisdom that that Tom Gaynor uses in his stock portfolio. Uh, the focus they have on, on running a good insurance operation. So if you're ever at the Berkshire Hathaway meeting, make sure to stop by the Markel brunch the next day as well. Brooks Running, one of the companies that's also part of the portfolio. Do, did you talk with the CEO or you or some, someone on our team interviewed the CEO of Brooks Running? The Matt athlete? did. We had to sick the runner on him. Okay. <laughs> to challenge him. Um, any takeaways from that? Or 
We saw the booth. Nice booth. Nice. Um, again, that's another company that that's that's very small. It it rolls up under, I think Russell, who rolled up under Fruit of the Loom. So it, it's a very small part. Oh, that's of, right, Fruit of the, of the business. Were there. the Fruit of the Loom guys there? They had some. No, they didn't have the fruits. That was kind of disappointing. They did have the the Geico pig though. Uh, not too many takeaways other than I ran the 5K the next day, the Brooks sponsored 5K. Yes. I passed the finish line just before the Brooks CEO. So I, nice. can, I can live happy now. I feel a little bit better about my health, marginally better. Now, on Thursdays, last Thursday's Market Foolery, I was in here with Tim Hansen. I mentioned the 5K and I predicted a top 10 finish for Matt Kopenheffer because last year he finished 16th mm-hmm. among men. Do we know the results yet? Because this was a race that was run Sunday morning, 8 a.m. local time in Omaha, Nebraska. Here we are more than 24 hours later. The results still have not been posted. Is that correct? That's correct. Matt has no hair left. He's pulled it all out. (laughs) No fingernails, no hair. He's going crazy. He was very close. He said he started out at the the head of the pack, but the guys were doing a four-minute mile pace. And he said, I cannot do that. I will literally die um so i think he was close if he may have been 10 it'll be very interesting to see hopefully we know tomorrow i think it's very much in keeping with warren buffett the investor who for a very long time has said he's not really interested in technology he's never been really focused on technology companies i think it's perfectly appropriate that he would hold a race and 24 hours later no tech. there's still no results posted online i mean we've we got the thing the trackers on our shoe it's I would assume the data is readily available. It starts when you cross the start line, ends when you cross the finish line. I don't know what's going on here. I really, just for the sake of our colleague and all those who sit near Matt Copenheffer, I really hope those results are posted by the end of the he day. Did, he did run it in like 1730, so it's pretty ridiculous. All right, David Hanson, thank you for being here, man. I know you've had an exhausting past few days. so Nine hours of sleep not for the whole weekend. Not, not too bad. <laughs> As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.